This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey there, welcome to The Tents. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from that slightly different perspective that we're so well known for. You know, often I come up with an idea for an aquarium representation of a unique, like, niche habitat, and I'll spend a lot of time researching the ecology and, more important to me, the function of the habitat before I even start on the project. And yeah, more often than not, I'll find that the plants, the wood, the leaves, or whatever that I need to really nail the project in a full-on biotopic manner are simply not available to me. And guess what? That's okay. I don't get stuck. I just don't get stressed about it, and you shouldn't either. I receive a lot of emails from you know my fellow hobbyists who are stuck because they can't find that exact plant or that exact whatever, and they dramatically change or sometimes even abandon their projects, which is a real shame. So let me make a suggestion for you. Look for some sort of analog. For example, a plant that is found in my region, which can inhabit a similar niche as the uh, plant that I'm looking for, uh, terrestrial or otherwise, in the tropical region. If I'm lucky, the plant even looks similar to the subject I'm trying to represent, and often it does. For example, uh, it's no secret that flooded forests and grasslands are like this total obsession for me. You all know this by now. For the amount of ink I devote to talking about flooded forests and grasslands, you'd think that I'd have some great suggestions about how to plant these tanks, right? Well, I do, and of course, I'll share my recommendations with you there in a minute. However, I also have a suggestion to our community in general about replicating these types of habitats. Let's figure out which terrestrial plants can tolerate, grow, or even thrive under submerged or partially submerged blackwater or otherwise conditions. Perhaps a more realistic, not in the hardcore, you know, biotope aquarium contest context, of course, but a more hard, a more realistic avenue to explore in this regard. Well, it starts by studying the wild habitats that we're trying to recreate, obviously. Think about how they form. Think about how the plants grow in them during the dry season and what materials would be found on the forest floor or grasslands when the water is absent. Forest floors are literally littered with leaves and seed pods from the overhead forest canopy, which so much material on the forest floor, the potential for a dynamic ecosystem in both the wet and the dry season is assured. Conceptually, this is absolutely easy to recreate in the uh, aquarium or vivarium, isn't it? You can create a remarkably faithful representation of these environments by simply working backwards, you know, thinking about what the forest floors are like when they're dry, what lives there, how the materials accumulate, what materials are found, and most important, perhaps, what trees do they come from? I've got one tree for you to research, actually. Uh, The dominant terrestrial plant in most South American flooded forests is is a species called Eugenia inundata. Now, don't think I'm not well underway in my somewhat futile efforts to see if we can secure, you know, fallen leaves of this plant, but it's very difficult to get some of this material out of Brazil, as we'll talk about later. But surely, if we can't find specimens of this plant, we can certainly find some similar plants to use in its place. At least we could utilize, you know, wood, roots, or other materials to represent the look of this plant during its submerged phase. Like, what would you use to represent this plant? Go to our uh, our blog version of the tent. You can see the picture of the plant and some of its, you know, roots or trailing branches. And you tell me what you think. 
And of course, there are many other plants which are found in these habitats, some of which we are likely never to see available, you know, in, for our purposes. However, we could figure out some analogous species, right? Uh, if, you know, if you look at some of these pictures that we put out online, spend a little time studying beyond just the, the, the first glance and kind of get out of your own headspace for a moment. Like, what species do we find in these flooded forests? Well, you'll find a species that you've probably never heard of. Ariaritia setigera, Socratia exoriza, Morachella aculata palms, just to name a few. Now, I say hit Google hard, <laughs> learn about these things, find out what related species you can source or what species are similar that grow in your neck of the woods. Like so many things from the Amazon, it's not easy, read that damn near impossible, to secure, you know, botanical materials from this region. So the proverbial don't hold your breath waiting for this comes to mind. Oh, and those submerged grasses that we see and drool over in all those underwater pics that we publish on the website, they're typically Paspalum repens and Oresia perennis grasses. You've probably heard of that Oresia because there's species of uh, that, you, that you'll find in rice. And there's a Paspalum is a common genus of grasses found all over the world. Repens is probably a species you're not likely to run by uh, here in North America or in Europe, but it is possible you might find some seeds of it. I managed to. Um, but Paspalum in general, they're all fairly similar, I dare say. And we do have access to some of the species like sedges and other riparian or semi-aquatic bog plants from genera that are found in these regions like papyrus, which is the genus Cyperus, Acorus, which we've talked about many times, and again, Orizas. I, I don't know if I say that right. It's O-R-Z-Y-A-S, Orizas. It's a tongue twister. <laughs> I don't know if I'm saying it right. You'll have to look it up. But these are surprisingly popular plants in the hobby, and for the purpose of recreating one of these seasonally inundated habitats, they're near perfect. Since many of these plants tolerate submersion for extended periods of time, they're of great interest to many of us for use in our aquariums. Perhaps most interesting to me is the area below the water, where the roots, the fallen leaves, and the shoots of plants like cypress are found in abundance, and they all kind of converge. A real dramatic and inspiring area to replicate in the aquarium, I think. It's one thing to simply plant some in an aquarium. Very cool. However, it's another thing, to, quite another thing actually, to represent part of the ecological niche in which they're found in a unique and different way, like the area where all the roots and uh, dead uh, material falls into. I find that fascinating. So sure, you can keep these plants in these submerged or partially submerged in, you know, environments. Part of what interests me is that these are generally really hardy plants, and I'm not known for my plant growing skills, so that's a good thing. But there's numerous species more commonly available from commercial nurseries in North America and European nations. So creating realistic representations of these habitats in our aquariums is more attainable than ever. You just need to do a little research. Now, there are also lots and lots of possibilities for creating unique aquatic displays with what I would like to call aquatic analogs of these terrestrial grasses and shrubs. In other words, incorporating some true aquatics to replicate the look of the flooded forest and grasslands using representative species. Now, I freely admit this is a total cheat, but when you think about it, it's a pretty good method that can be employed if you want to represent the inundation period for the theme of your aquarium and you aren't liable to secure or grow the terrestrial or semi-aquatic analogs to the species found in these habitats. Makes sense. So I'm thinking about plants like Echinodorus tenellus, the pygmy chain sword, which grows in a most grass-like state and is certainly representative of the, of the appearance of the grasses one might find on a flooded Pantanal or a forest floor habitat in South America. It's not hard to cultivate a little section of these plants in your representation of a flooded forest or meadow and drop in a few leaves and you know from botana and botanicals and achieve a relatively realistic looking facsimile of this unique habitat another great candidate that has a sort of generic tropical terrestrial grass-like appearance would be cryptocarine parva 
This is a diminutive little plant that can be grown emerged, which I've done. Uh, so for semi-flooded Igapo or Varzea, biotope aquariums where you're actually doing the cycle, it would be really adaptable. And when submerged, it bears a strong resemblance to past pollen or other tropical submersion-resistant grasses. Very interesting stuff. Now, I suppose that the old fave, um, known as Sagittaria, could also be employed for this purpose. But some species can achieve a larger and perhaps ultimately not as realistic size. So you need to choose carefully. More exotic but readily available tissue culture would be the beautiful Liliopsis muritania, a beautiful species often called the microsword for its appearance and size. Bingo! And of course, since we're representing a flooded forest floor or meadow with patchy growth over rich, you know, soil and leaves, you don't have to have the full-on green lawn that the planet Aquarius strive for so ardently. <clears throat> Excuse me, a little bit of open space and some twigs, roots, dried weeds, bark pieces, a few seed pods, and exposed substrate, and you're well on your way to creating a remarkably realistic, undeniably cool tank. Just plant some of it here and there in such a tank and, well, yeah, you get the idea. And of course, you can always replicate the look and function of the areas where land and water meet, which to me is just fascinating. Now, sure, playing with some of these types of setups brings together hobbyists from a number of different disciplines, vivarium, terrarium people, aquarists, planted tank enthusiasts, botanical-style aquarium lovers, hey, that's us, etc., etc., etc. Now, sure, each party is going to have their own unique take on the process, as well as accompanying criticisms of the process and management involved. However, putting it all together is a really fun process. So the most important takeaway here is not to be stuck because you don't have access to the exact plants or leaves or twigs or whatever that you'd find in these habitats. You can research the ecology of these habitats and find analogs that capture both the look and function of their wild subjects. Appreciate these analogs as functionally aesthetic means to recreate some of the world's most amazing natural ecosystems during both the dry and the wet seasons. Stay creative. Stay studious, stay observant, stay unflustered, stay motivated, stay bold, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Bellman from Tenant Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tent.